Ahoy hoy! I'm assuming folks are there. I don't have my computer out here yet, so I'm hoping that, uh, that I'm being received here. I've exited host mode. I don't know when. I can never tell when, but I know now that I have ho exited host mode. I've exited Post Malone. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm getting my seasonal allergies on. This time of year, around September, the ragweed rises up, and uh, I start sneezing and getting, uh, and getting a little uh, stuffed up. It happens in the spring, too. Uh, and as folks can see, I am back wearing my strap suit because it's finally kind of chilly. It's kind of fallish. And I got to say, this is very rare for New York. I know half the country's on fire and we're tumbling into a climate apocalypse. But man, last month or so in New York, math and a half has been exquisite. Uh, I've lived in New York probably five years, between two, five, six years now, between two different times living here. And I got to say, this is the absolute best August I've ever encountered and the best September because... In New York, September is usually very muggy here, even if the temperature goes down. And you don't get crispness until, like, October, at least my experience. This is already crispy, and it's not even the 15th yet. Ah, oh, it's fall, baby, and I'm loving it. And here I am. I'm wearing my motherfucking tracksuit, and I love it. I love it. Someone tells me the stream's quiet. I have been told this before. I have the volume entirely up. I have the microphone next to my face. If there's another thing to do, I do not know how to do it. So... At this point, telling me won't help because I do not have the ability to interfere with this. Now, as we've said, we're going to do more stuff at the office with uh, Chris. We're going to try to do a stream, I think, on Wednesday. We were going to do one last week, but he forgot the microphone. So we will be in the office. I will have the microphone, and it will be louder. But until then, it's just me here, and I don't understand any of this. I don't know how this works. I Remember how long it took me to even get from Twit to Twitch, which is like a thing, a, 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 a platform that we have... A, uh, an actual like deal with to broadcast content and I was doing it on Instagram because I didn't have Twitch on my phone I don't know how any of this works you guys know when you can get me on this because I have no power over it and it makes me worry that people don't know what I'm saying I am a boomer. I've never said I wasn't. I've never claimed to be anything but a boomer. Uh, because if you think about it, the boomers were the last generation. I mean, we talk about X, millennials and stuff, but the boomers were really the first and last generation because they were the defining generation. There really weren't generations before them. That's all retrospective. All that stuff about the silent generation and, and like the greatest generation, that's all post hoc. Nobody thought in those terms back then. The first generation to self-consciously think of itself as one, at least in America in the 20th century, was the fucking boomers. And since they have held on to all the capital, they've been squatting Croesus-like upon it, like smog, on all of that fucking accumulated capital that, that got piled up uh, during the labor peace of America's post-war hegemony that is now slowly dwindling away they still have the lion's share of it, which means they still direct culture, they still direct politics, they still rule the roost. And they still, I mean, there's going to be a movie about the Chicago 7, directed by Aaron Sorkin, coming out next month on Netflix. Sorkin is a fucking, uh, 
uber Xer, right? I'm pretty sure that Sorkin is like a definitive Gen Xer. How old is he? Sorkin's in his 50s, right? Or even if it's early 60s, he is a fucking Xer. But he's still making a movie about the Chicago 7 and about the fucking 68 convention. And, he, and, and all of his characters and all of his stuff harken back to that. Remember uh, Jeff Daniels' monologue at the beginning of Newsroom where he talks about how we were once great and we won wars. And we, uh, uh, and he, and sure, he's talking about the greatest generation, but then he's talking about shit like going to the moon and whatever. It's all in the context. Those are the dreams of the, the greatest generation or the boomers. That was the stuff the boomers saw. That's what they grew up with, and that's what he's enraptured by, even though he was older, younger than that. Or if he wasn't, he, should, he shouldn't be that beholden to it. And now, the millennials, they're just, it's all just a different deformation of Boomer. It's all that self-conscious, like it's it, the idea of, of a generation that sees itself as a generation. Right there, you have Boomer man, mindset. So every generation that thinks that way has Boomer mindset. So we are all boomers, 100% boomer. Even the, even the terrifying zo uh, Zoomers, even the children uh, are, are basically boomers. I mean, they're Zoomers, it rhymes. It's boomers all the way down. So I will say it, at least I'll admit it. I burrowed through the levels of, uh, of, of mystifying ideology that make me think, oh no, I am this generation. These things mean something other than just a culture talking itself to death while it slowly sinks into oblivion. Unable to muster any uh, uh, opposition to a neoliberal dissolving of all social and ecological uh, uh, foundations. I have to say, though, that I replay these and they sound fine, so I don't know what the hell your problem is. I've never had a problem listening to them, either played back on YouTube or Twitch. So you guys might have the problem. This might be a YP, not an MP. What are all these emoticons? Why, why are we getting emoticons? What's going on? There are many emoticons. Some of them are of me. There's one of uh, Alex, I think, loan option on there. Oh, emote only, because everyone was giving me the business about the, the uh, about the sound. Well, I'm fine now. I not, now I know that if anyone's doing it, they're doing it uh, as a as some sort of trolling. So I will disregard. Oh, no. Oh, no. God damn it. Pomo got it out there again that there's a picture of me without a beard. And, there, and it's a terrible photograph. It's, I think it, like, it's on some alt-right websites. I remember you people would sometimes uh, reply to me with it. It's a terrible photograph. It was for a brief period a couple years ago when I shaved my beard because I was getting too much uh, beard dandruff. And it was too itchy. And I know now, yeah, you need beard oil, idiot. So I take care of it now.
There's not going to be a Rogan debate. Come on. We're barely even going to get an actual debate. It's going to be puppet show. They're going to do race bandit models like Conan O'Brien. It's going to be stage managed, somehow edited. It's going to be boring. Sure as shit, not going to get four hours in uh, Joe Rogan's weed garage getting contact highs while Rogan just blows smoke in their face. I am grilling tonight. Thank you for asking. I'm going to make the... uh, I have perfected a recipe for a a Korean Beyond Burger where I put kimchi and that sauce that I have on a Beyond Burger. uh, Cook that puppy up. And of course, some, uh, some glizzies. Nathan's, the best. Oh, God, thank you. Someone reminded me of this. I want to talk about it. So today Trump was in some sort of conference with people in California. And, of course, he's doing his usual thing about forest fires where he says they didn't, they didn't sweep the floor enough. you got to sweep the floor. Why don't you sweep the floor? You've got to sweep the floor. Uh, he's said this for years. This has always been his argument. I mean, he's a, he's a moron. He's a, he's a grade-A idiot, except for being famous. And they were... He was talking to some California officials, and one of them decided he was going to get his name in the paper. And so he gave Trump a little dressing down about how he needed to under, accept that climate change was real and that, uh, he need, that the science needs to be confronted or else we're not going to fix anything. And, the guy, and Trump goes, it's going to get colder. You watch. And the guy goes, I wish science agreed with you. And he goes, well, here, science doesn't know. That is at the heart, I think, of Q, of Flat Earth, of the entire like uh, new like folk politics and religion that's emerging in the current moment, out of the sludge of Trumpism. Uh, it is a total disbelief in all objective uh, measurements or systems. It is a. It is a reptilian rejection of authority outside of one's zone of tribal affiliation. So things like the media and things like science, any way you define it, are not just not to be believed. They are to be instinctively disbelieved. Anything they say is a lie. You have to believe the opposite. And that's because this is what happens when you have replaced the concept of politics with personal ego gratification to the point where you are just projecting a fantasy, a schizophrenic fantasy of politics where you're a participant uh, as like an eternal essential being battling against the enemy, not, not negotiating with other people across like the marketplace, like liberalism says. And we're all participating in liberal democracy, but further and more and more liberal democracy is untenable, and this is replacing it. And that's one of those things that makes Trump supporters love him is because they think the same way he, do, they, he does. And so they don't think that science is real. And you can say, but look, look at all the evidence. And so, how does he say it's going to get colder? It's been the hottest year every year for the last 20. But here's the thing. He, in a couple months, it is going to get colder, right? Even if it's not as colder as it used to be at the same time of year, it's going to be colder than it is now, right? Those fires are going to go out, right? There might even be some snow. There might even be a snowstorm or two. And he will be in that moment then 
being like, look, it's cooler. Crazies, they're nuts. What, what's wrong with them? And of course, all the nerds are going to yell, but, 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 but this is just the winter and it's not even as cold as it used to be and it's going to keep getting warmer. But right then, it's cold. And then next summer, if there's another huge fire season and it's you know, bigger than this one and it's more acres burned and it's more people displaced and killed, if you point to it and you say, look, it's terrible, he'll go, yeah, it'll get cooler. And he will, not have rem he will not even remember last year. He will not be able to think of last year because every moment is just that moment. But not in like the Zen-centered sense of there is only the moment, everything within it is flux, the only constant is change, and therefore you are free from any fixed position, any, any damage. Like you cannot be hurt if you really believe that because there's nothing to hurt. You know, you're part of a you're part of a whole, a whole. You're part of a, a flow a flow of his space and time, and that centers you and can give you a sense of it can detach you from your pain and detach you from your anger and detach you from your resentment and hostility to others and fear. But he doesn't have that kind of sense of the moment. It is only the horrors of the moment. It's only the pains and desires of and and fant and, and and thwarted dreams. The fantasies that have always been there, just out of reach. Like, remember, Trump has been driven mad by having everything he wanted his whole life, which means he has never been happy because he has always been seeking more, which means he is always moving towards this, like, this light that's just beyond the, his reach, beyond, like, this gauze of reality. And he's been pushing at it his whole life, and it's made him, in every moment, miserable. So it's the same moment of misery. And so... In the winter, hey, it's cold. What are you talking about global warming? And in the summer, when it's hot, you're overreacting. It's going to get cold. And that's a mindset that is now dominant. Where the enemy is these things like science and the media and the political parties, specifically the Democrats, Hollywood, any, all, all, the edifice, all the edifices of the, of the fantasy world that we now inhabit that replaced our reality. Because our reality is fixed, right? Politics can't have anything to do with real human conditions because real human conditions are fixed. Our destiny is made by the market. We are frozen in amber. We are going to be turned into paste one way or the other by the system. But we live in a fantasy world. We live in a world of heroes and villains. We live in a mythological realm. And we get to participate at the level of, of, of visceral identification with one side. And that's what the new politics will be. And it's the only politics we can have. That's why Q is the leading edge of a, of a generalizable phenomenon across politics. It includes Democrats. Like, there's already, like, this Russiagate and, like, the weird fixation on, uh, like, and paranoid relationship to Trump and Bernie bros and the creation of this, like, meta-narrative about a conspiracy within, like, the inter uh, Russia and the Democratic Par Republican Party and the media to, like, elect not the fascists by propping up a fake left. Uh, that's on the same level of like delusion, and it comes from the same level of cognitive dissonance and the same sense of powerlessness, but it's just less intensified now uh, because those people are more wedded to more, more parts of this system. Like, they still believe in the media. They still believe in the Democratic Party. They mostly still like Hollywood, whereas the, the Q person has already been wildly alienated from all of those things, which puts them farther along on the edge. But it's the same process, and that's just the language that it uh, finds itself being generated by the democratic, uh, uh, like, ideologue. Uh, 
And uh, this allows me a chance to talk about something I think I've brought, brought men mentioned in part before, but I've never, I don't think, brought together into one kind of idea. And that is the way that Q fits into the history of Protestantism in America and how Q, I think, represents a third great awakening of American Protestantism, like a new emergent relationship between people's spirituality and their politics and their like citizenship. Uh, and it goes like this. This is my basic outline, is that it, for the first premise is that Protestant, American Protestantism is in essential ways a different beast theologically and spiritually uh, from any, pro, any Christianity that came before it, anything in Europe or the Levant or anything else. Uh, it is not, it is its own creature. It is an offshoot. And the main reason I say that is because the United States project, that settler colonial project, created a relationship between citizens and Christianity that essentially removes the spiritual element, i.e. the social element, from the entire endeavor of religion and made it a purely transactional relationship, a purely marketized, capitalized religious tradition. Where, like, because religion, because it is the opiate of the masses in the heart of a heartless world, it provides sort of a, it, 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 it ratifies uh, uh, existing social relationships, but it also gives rise to a language of, uh, of, dis of pain, uh, a language of uh, hurt, uh, a language of alienation that was exploited by things like the Munster Rebellion and fucking uh, the Civil Rights Movement. Um, and... Shit, I gotta... One second, I gotta pop off. I gotta text somebody something. Uh, but anyway, so yes, one second. As we, leaving off with Protestantism different. Now we will say why. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? Am I back on? Can you hear me? All right, you can hear me. Okay, good. So Christianity is not just doctrine. It's lived experience. It's, lived it's a social practice. And that is something that you have to remember when you're talking about religion. It's not just doctrine. It's a social practice. The social practice of European Christianity through, uh, up until the Reformation was one where uh, one's sense of place in the universe and one's sense of one's relationship to God, which is necessary for anyone to feel like they're participating in a religious tradition. If you can't feel God, you're not really part of it. I mean, you can mouth it, but you're not there. Uh, 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 and the, the way that that was reaffirmed was by a social relationship. You were a, a member of a great chain of being. You had a place, and you, that place was reinforced and daily ritualized almost be, uh, interactions with everyone around you, other people in the great chain of being, family members. Uh, you know, a clergy, the, the lords, whatever it is, wherever your relationship is, it's embedded, it's socially embedded. And those, that creates a sense of our understanding of God's will, because God cannot be totally inscrutable. If God's totally inscrutable, we have nothing to go by. If, to, if God is totally inscrutable, there is no reason to have any code of behavior or any, any social obligation to anyone, because what's the, what's the, uh, what are you going off of? 
God is explicable to the sense that we know what he likes. And so, by seeing people interact socially, we see who rises and falls, and we see who's happy and who's miserable, and what causes that misery, we see a sense of God. And yes, it's heavily inflected by the feudal system, and it says, oh yes, rebelling against the order, that's a bad thing, and, and uh, you know, it, it normalizes and ratifies that exploitation system. But it does it in a way that has a deep sense, because of the lack of technology and the lack of social uh, alienation, uh, 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 it has a larger degree of built-in uh, um, uh, built-in legitimacy, built-in uh, consent, I would say. Because people feel obliged to one another, and that's part of what religion is. But capitalism changes that. Capitalism destroys our relationship with one another, uh, removes the obligations, removes the, that sense of, of, of a mystical tie, and replaces it with a transaction of goods motivated by self-interest strangers in a marketplace that's how we're supposed to see each other and part of it is because you uh, as as capital is is a uh, accumulated society gets more complicated more people are born more people live closer together they go to cities and stuff and it pulls at that social fabric the social fabric gets torn as people move through the economics engine as it as it tightens its its grip and that means that it creates uh, alienations and they have to be channeled somewhere. And Protestantism is one way to re reframe one's relationship to God in a desacralized space. Protestantism says, no, social practice is not the basis for a virtue. Doctrine is. Individual belief is. Because if you're carrying your soul around by yourself all day and interacting with other people who might try to take it, as opposed to being socially embedded where your soul is also a little bit part of everyone else's soul that you know because you only know a few people you know more people you're interacting with them as strangers you're trying to exploit them you're trying to get more from them than you're giving that has to be met metabolized these these people don't just snap more fingers one day and have new ideas they have to be resolved these contradictions have to be resolved and protestantism helps resolve that, that contradiction by replacing that social soul with an individual one and replacing works with beliefs. But that pro so that once that process starts, it would inevitably, unless something intervenes, it would inevitably overtake all of European Christianity. But it was hyper kicked into gear by the fact that as this new emergent social for idea is, is emerging, this idea of a Protestant liberal self as the locus for like religious meaning. Uh, as, as a way to deal with the di dislocations and alienations of capitalism. Just at this time, Europeans start going to the New World and seeing it as virgin land, seeing the people who inhabit it as somehow other, religiously inscribed as other so that anything can be done to them. And their land is takeable. Their land is expropriatable. But that means they're coming apart from different places. And they might all be Christians. They might, like the, like the, the, the people in New England, they might all be Christians. You know, and, uh, they, uh, uh, but they all come from different places and are strangers to one another for the most part. You had some families coming, but the vast majority of immigration led to strangers coming into contact with another, one another and creating cities of people coming together uh, without a social framework at all coming from a feudal understanding that was not yet fully like shaken loose 
from social formations and relationships in Europe. So that had to be filled by something. And the first Great Awakening that happened during the colonial era, I think, was that society's like uh, inflection point at which they realized a new understanding of their religion and a new understanding of their relationship to God. And Protestantism and Calvinism specifically provided them for the context for this and provided them for the language, with the language for this. And it was, how can we know God's will, right? We used to be able to know God's will because we were connected. We were all tendrils touching one another in a social fabric. We, we, were, we, were, we were a seamless garment. I mean, not obviously this is for, when I say this, this isn't, speaks to all the alienation and misery of life under feudalism. It was miserable. It sucked. But all of that misery and suckitude was channeled into this affirming social uh, uh, network that didn't require a lot of, how could there have been mass coercion? There was no mass state. You had people, the serfs, if they wanted to leave, they could, for the most part. The misery was massive, but it was unalienated. It was shared by most. Like, even rich people still had to, like, they shit twice a month, and, they, and their kids died of the cold, and they lived in drafty castles, and they got to eat meat till they were constipated, but their lives were largely the same. And their lives depended on each other. Now you're in a new world where everyone's a stranger. How do we know what is God's will and how can we act according to it? And the answer became, because this is a blank slate, this is tabula rasa, and we can rewrite anything onto it through our personal will, driven by our personal souls, then God's will is the sum total of what we do to this continent. What all of us acting according to our souls writes on the continent is the manifestation of God's will. And those who prosper are prospering because they held in their heart the true faith and the true spirit and are true Christians. Those who fell, those who failed to inscribe themselves on the land, uh, profitably on the landscape, they are, they are sinful. We pity them. We, don't, we, we hope they find Jesus, but there clearly cannot be real believers or they would not be so fucking poor. And that works for, and that reinscribes re Christianity and, re and gives it a new basis, to, a framework to apt, apt, operate from in people's minds uh, during the course of the settling of the country. But then by the mid-19th century, a new system has emerged. Now we still have the frontier, people pushing it forward and, and trying to grab and write their, like, write their fate, write God's name onto the land. But the people out east the people who are either relatively recent immigrants or people who have settled in the less, especially in New York, in the northern tier, the less, uh, the, the people who became the yeoman farmers, the, like the, where the citizens actually lived. And upstate New York was where the, the, the Second Great Awakening was most intense. The burned over district, it was called, also where Mormonism emerged from. And that is because, I theorize, it's the Deary Canal destabilizing that, urban, that rural idol and introducing the market. Because the market is another challenger to our, 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 um, our fixedness. Because like we can inscribe our name on the land, but then what if? What about what the banker shows up? What if we have to get a mortgage? What about what? What about what our our goods will get on the market? Or what if I have to sell my labor? What if I have to go to the city, and I have to sell my labor, and I'm not even able to direct my own efforts the way I could on a farm? 
I have to go on the barges on the Erie Canal and see and see tavern keepers. Like what? How am I to keep my? How am I to know what God's will is there? And the answer ended up inevitably becoming because that's what the wheel of history was grinding us towards with our, our consent or knowledge and our brains trying to frantically keep up was what God's, God's will is what is inscribed in the market. So not necessarily the land, but if you can get the land, good. But if you can't, well, what can you, what can you sell? What can you sell and for how much? What, what, what kind of trade can you learn and what kind of shingle can you put out? What kind of fortune can you make for yourself? Fortune can you make for yourself? And succeeding in the market becomes expression of God's will. Failure, or God's favor. Failure, God's disfavor. And now we've reached a terminal endpoint to that cycle because the market has, just as our frontier eventually became no longer malleable, couldn't be the place where God's will is inscribed, it became fixed, it became autonomous. Same way the, that happened to the market. Because now the market is totalized, which means... The winners and losers are fixed. There is not even an illusion of agency. People are just driven by the Skinner box uh, 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 desire, uh, uh, fear, uh, external coercive mechanism of the market, the, the debt and, and, and bills and, um, and hospital costs and health care and, um, and lower wages and more flexibility. And maybe you got to move, you know, but none of it feels, none of it, I'm talking about in a spiritual sense, none of it feels like it's anybody's, uh, it's anybody's will, certainly not God's. And instead of accepting a world where God is dead, we have to find a new place where his will can be found. And now we have a new frontier. As another frontier closes, a new frontier opens, the frontier of the internet. Where, yes, we are fixed here. In, in the cycles of, of, of uh, deprivation and, uh, and, and fortune and, and you know, uh, uh, labor alienation, material alienation, precarity, the word that defines all those words. But online, we can seek God's favor. We can scry through. We can put an effort into to truly just believe in something. And so that's where a cue comes in, I think. And so this is the new, this is the latest cycle, the new intensification of the cycle of uh, Christianity, American Christianity, whereby now God's will is discovered online. And we, find, we use things like Q proofs and memes and the Q clock, to, like we use a, a, a biblical codex or, the, or a, the Talmud to find meaning. To, to find the Kabbalistic code within it. And Q is the thing that brings all of it together. And now it's going to include all of this mystical rejection of the material world and its structures that have failed at every level to provide the sucker that uh, our understanding of the country we live in and the God who rules over us would make possible. And something has to explain it. Someone has to answer for it. And that becomes the shadow form of this like, uh, cyclopedian deep state, which of course exists and is capitalism. But these people are too captured ideologically to get beyond that level of abstraction. 
And I don't know how much hope is for them, honestly. I think if you get there, it might be too late also. Like you might be deep into an epistemic rut and nothing could route you out because how can you really convince anybody of something at that point? It's the way I say you can't convince anybody on the internet anymore. That means the more you believe on internet stuff, the less you can be talked out of it, the way you couldn't talk someone out of a religious belief. They have to be stopped from converting in the first place. Or you hope that they fall away from it. But that's going to happen regardless of you. You're not going to talk them out of it discreetly. You've got to fucking cut it off. And you've got to get people before they can get it. And that's the race against time the left has. And I, I'm not terribly optimistic. Yeah, the whole thing was a joke. I mean, just was the Trump campaign. The Trump campaign started as a joke. It was basically a bit he was doing because he was pissed Obama uh, told him he, was a, he couldn't be president. The problem with trying to get Q people to acknowledge capitalism as the root of a problem is that they believe capitalism is in capitalism is part of the fiber of the Christian. Like when I was talking about how Protestantism is like a spiritual expression of capitalism, it's a spiritual practice that can be compatible with capitalism. Uh, that means that it's that they are constitutive of each other. You cannot get capitalism out of it. You, it's, you'd have to, you'd kill it. And, and, and yeah, like that's, that's how you would have to do it. But it also means that they're going to have more defense mechanisms against that than anything. They're going to, like, any, any criticism of capitalism is, if they understand it as such, like if they understand it in a spiritual sense, is like a live wire challenge to their very uh, exist, exist, existential conception of themselves. And that means it's very, very difficult to uproot. Uh. I'm drinking a Schweppes black cherry seltzer. I have to say, I used to not like seltzer. I used to prefer soda because I thought like the the unadorned uh, seltzery taste was too overpowering. I liked it sweet, but I've basically waterboarded my mouth with enough of this shit that now I like it, and it, and it does most of the job that uh, that Coke used to do. Oh, I, so I, I wrote a letterbox review of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Philip Kaufman 70s version. And I just said that, that if they did one now with this sort of same vibe, it would be about TikTok. And it's just, I don't know, I, I wasn't even really thinking about it. Uh, the movie's okay. I didn't just really have anything to say about it. I guess I just meant that uh, that, that movie very much takes uh, Invasion of the Body... The Body Snatcher are a metaphor for, like... Uh, I think it's supposed to be a metaphor for like self-help culture in the 70s 
like as as the 70s were turning into an insane asylum and as like social cohesion was going out the window and as uh as the economic foundation was crumbling around everybody and society felt like it was like on the verge of some sort of a tipping point uh certainly eco economically when you talk about the oil embargo um that there was this movement to soothe people out in a without religion but like with spirituality like a a um new age or or um radically like self-accepting psycho psychological essentially uh snake oil like all of that stuff was snake oil it, it's just it's the same it's like it's all dianetics it's all it's all it, all of it's l ron hubbard stuff like uh, someone who is charismatic or smart enough to construct out of like real real pain and real alienation a quick fix remedy that incorporates enough truthful scaffolding to hide the empty inner core uh and that stuff just proliferated and now we don't even have that I, we just have social media entrepreneurship like the only hope for the proles is that you can do this. You can do being on the internet good enough that you can avoid the perils of the market entirely. Like I did. I mean, I'm exhibit A of this. And, and, and now it, it was podcasts. You know, for a while it was uh, like you get a book, out of a book deal out of a Twitter account. And now it's being a t TikTok oaf. I didn't say I was set for life. If I said if I said set for life, I was. I just mean you don't have to, you don't have to worry about becoming a totally alienated, uh, late capitalist subject just running on the hamster wheel. You can you can disengage from that at least for a while, and uh, that's the only dream left. That's the only American dream we have. And Q is a part of that. Q is that expression politically, like you can solve the codex, you can you can solve the Da Vinci Code, and it'll unlock the the fucking seal of Gondor, and and the light will shine through and there will be no death and all shall be well and all shall be well and all manners of things shall be well and Prester John and his righteous armies will come over the horizon to redeem mankind the revelation these guys are apocalyptic very much exclusively they're like this whole Trump unveiling when all the all the deep state pedos get executed that's the apocalypse in their mind in the sense that it is the end point. This is the new expression of end times uh, 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 um, Christianity. Remember at the turn of the millennium in the fucking uh, Left Behind series? And it was all going to be the rapture. You remember the rapture, the way that was a meme until like 2008, during the Bush years? That all the, all the Yahoo Christians thought that one day all the, all the righteous would just get spared. Like they get sucked up to heaven before tribulation began because as the most cosseted and, 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 and uh, physically pampered people in history, people who believe that their amount of physical and social suffering is the sum total of like their, uh, uh, like their uh, suffering for them would be to be out of God's favor. Like to suffer at all is to be punished by God to, for having done something wrong. So they can't even conceive of suffering through uh, 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 tribulation. No, no, they will be rise, ri risen up and they get to watch. 
You don't hear about the rapture anymore. You're going to hear about Q, but it's the same impulse. Just farther along, accelerated farther along, and made more insane by a more insanely uh, disorienting social matrix, i.e. social media. Yeah, I really do think it was a shitpost. I think the Q is a shitpost to begin with. And then I think it was probably taken by those um, those YouTube... I don't know if people read this, but there was an article that, that had a little... It had some... It looked pretty persuasive proof video of these two YouTubers who, who were making money. And this is always the big question about Q. Why would you do it if there was no money in it? Because like I'm talking about, the whole... The only Amer- dream left is the dream of of seizing, got, getting, gaining God's, gaining God's favor in the, in the cyber sphere. Why would you do it for no money? Why would you do it for no recognition? And that's why, uh, uh, you couldn't, you, that's why it had to be an insider, right? That's why it had to be someone with real insider knowledge and they had to be anonymous because there had to be, it had to be for the pure desire to see good done. It couldn't be for social media clout. But the way to get around that is if you're the person explaining it, if you're the person, if you're the priesthood, if you're the digital priesthood, if you're, if you're the, uh, I mean, then you get, you know, the communion and you get to keep, or you get to keep the, uh, the collection plate because you're the priest of your own religion, which is what everybody wants. So this is sort of L. Ron Hubbard deal, basically. And like Mormon got Mormon, uh, Mormon heaven too. Uh, and you get to, collect the, the, the gate toll for understanding Q in the first place. And there's video of one of these guys accidentally logging onto Q while they were streaming live in one of their well-trafficked and remunerative YouTube channels. And now it looks like at some point it got, maybe they sold it. I wouldn't be surprised if they sold it. And honestly, if they did, they sold low uh, to that pedophile psycho 8chan guy. But honestly, though, I think that if they did sell, unless they really needed cash fast, uh, they blew it because this could really be like an Apple type situation. But the thing that could stop that, and it might be too late, honestly, is that because Q has posted so much less as Q has gotten much more popular, his contribution to the whole thing has been uh, uh, denatured. He is less integral to the process. Most of the stuff that's really important Q canon didn't come from directly or even like through a direct inference from a Q post. And even if he wanted to change the direction or, or, or like seize control of it for some specific ends that were not, that were against the momentum that was being built socially, they wouldn't be able to do it. It'd be King Canute trying to call back, uh, hold back the tide. Now, I know American Christianity isn't a single tendency, but I would say that that is the, that there is a basis for that Americans like, and I'm not talking about the way it's experienced by non-traditional people. I'm talking about the way that 
it is practiced by practitioners of religion, like people who go to church, or even people who have a very, very deep um, uh, self-conception of them as Christian, as a subset of greater group of people that you could, even, you could still call Christian, uh, that there is an American Protestant uh, cosmology, like a materialist Christianity, where God's will is seen on earth. Heaven is on earth, hell is on earth, and who is one place or the other is God's will, because we are all driven by our own souls towards light or darkness. And that's, and obviously not everyone thinks that. There's plenty of people who don't believe that, but I'm talking about like the, the, the under, the, not just the way people, the, the majority of people understand themselves, but the way that their understanding expresses itself in politics and culture. I would say that that is American Christianity, this Protestant evangelical conception. And that even Catholicism at this point, for the most part, accepting uh, like maybe immigrant communities, where, by the way, Pentecostalism and Evangelicalism is making a big uh, uh, inroads. American Catholicism is essentially now a, a subsidiary, doctrinally distinct, but, but tributary uh, faith within that greater tradition. Like, it's like Episcop you got your uh, uh, Presbyterians, your Methodists, your Baptists, your Pentecostals, your Catholics. And that's all like on the same level of distinction. And a lot of this didn't just come from those Puritan fucks, those Calvinist fucks. It really came in terms of stiff, like creating the uh, like the cultural backbone, like create, creating the, uh, the 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 social lived experience of this religious tradition. Fucking Scotch Irish, holy shit! Those motherfuckers. And if you want to know the difference between like Scandinavian uh, Christianity and uh, American Christianity, I think the fact that they didn't have any Scotch-Irish might be a big part of it. The fucking Ulster Prots, man. Some of the... Ooh. And that's why Ulster Protestantism is one of the very few European uh, religious and political traditions that is similar in like even specifics to American. Like, they also have, like, creationists, and they also fight the same culture war. And if you go to the, uh, the Protestant neighborhoods in Belfast and see the fucking murals, they, are, they embrace this connection. They're, I've seen one of uh, Stonewall Jackson. There's one with James Buchanan, and it says, Scotch-Irish president. It's like, yeah, the worst one we had. Congratulations, you fucking assholes. I, saw, I famously saw, I, I remember seeing a picture of a, uh, of a wall of a, like a UDF clubhouse, and it had a bunch of flags on the wall. And it had uh, the red hand of Ulster. It had a South African apartheid flag, uh, um, the Rhodesian apartheid flag, and the Confederate flag. And they're also like global warming deniers and, you know, fanatically anti-abortion in a way that like, the way that reactionaries just aren't in mainland Europe. How long are we going now? I, I gotta. What time is it, anybody? I, I'm only. I don't have my laptop out here. Does anyone have the time? Not the length of the stream, but the 
AM, PM type situation. 6.37. All right, great. All right, I'm going to wind down pretty soon because I think... No, wait a minute. No, I got like 10 minutes left, I think. All right. Or longer. I got 15 minutes. 15 minutes. What's Scientology's relationship to American Christianity? It's essentially the, the, uh, the, the science-ized. It's the grad student version. It's American Christianity where the, uh, where the experience of, like, of living in the technological innovative moment and also the, the, uh, the spiritually destroying moment of World War II, the atom bomb and the Holocaust... You cannot accept God as a supernatural conception the way the Christians can it in those services, in that, uh, in that instance, if you have a certain frame of mind, if maybe you have a certain education, if you approach things from a more empirical, a more grounded, a more secular uh, uh, perspective. And that's going to be a product of your upbringing, your brain chemistry, all these things out of your control. And if you end up on that end of the spectrum, one answer to you know what what is the good now in this in this madhouse that is that shows God that that humanity has almost limitless power to do evil but what about good and it is a it is a science based a science replacing God but having the same purpose the idea of giving people a ability to write themselves across the, the world and into outer space and see gods, Xenus, whatever, will reflected in the success or failure of the venture. I think Jordan Peterson's daughter is trying to kill him. I don't want to get sued for making claims without basis, but I will just say this. She certainly doesn't seem to be treating him with a lot of care. And I'm sorry, it might be a cheap shot, but you do have to wonder how much of that is his responsibility as a father. I'll just say that, but it does look like his shit sucks, and I, I kind of feel bad for him. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe putting him in a medical coma at like a, at a, in a Serbian ex-like Bosnian labor camp during the middle of a fucking pandemic after feeding him game meats for five years might not... Might, is, that's all in his best interest. Yeah, and now she's... Uh, She's with the, with the sex trafficker, allegedly. Yeah, good, good work, good work there. Jordan really knocked it out of the park there. I am not on the all beef diet now. I'm trying to reduce my beef intake, actually. I'm de-beefening. Like I said, I'm making Beyond Burgers with kimchi and 
my beloved Goju Jangshas. But I do think I might want to try to, I still want to try to do a brisket on my birthday though, or before my birthday. Brisket for my birthday, birthday brisket. Oh, one other thing about Trump saying, it'll, it'll get colder, you watch, is that that is, that is his essential con artist nature. I mean, because his entire career has been, like, him pursuing wealth, him pursuing fame, yeah, it didn't mean that he was good at business, and he's in a lot of ways, was very bad at business. But it didn't matter because of how good he was at fame. He kept getting bailed out because his name was too valuable. So in a real sense, he was a good businessman because he never lost any money. It was always the dumbass investors who had to take a haircut to keep his name valid and to keep him a brand and more importantly, to keep him a fucking cover for a bunch of money laundering, which of course is a huge part of his entire fucking thing. I mean, for at least the last 10 years before he ran for president, his entire real estate, uh, uh, his entire real estate uh, empire was just pure ass, dead ass, motherfucking no caparino, uh, uh, money laundering for like Russian mob guys. Uh, and, but that's all because he was famous. So he was, he, he was so good at being famous, it made him good at business. Do you want to say hi to the people? Uh, you want to stream? Yeah. You want to say hi? Not particularly. Okay. You look I'm going to, I'm going to line up in a second okay. here. Uh, Brendan James, folks. Brendan James, he's going to grill with me today. He doesn't want to talk to you pigs though. And I don't blame him because... You keep giving me the business about my damn microphone. Oh, he's listening to his music. Listen to the music, Brendan. Do they talk to you? Yeah, I, I, I see them talking, but uh, it's just they're, they're writing. It goes very fast. You are reaching Jim Jones level uh, setup here. Come on, my babies. You're, you're in a, Come on, my babies. Lay down. I'm buoyant outfit talking yeah. to a little screen. Yeah. In your like, in, in my layer, in my yeah. compound layer. No, I'm feeling Jonesy. I'm Jonesing it up right Jonesing. now. Come to me, my babies. Please, I started these people doing uh, Jim Jones shit, and now I'm okay. back. Okay, I, I'm being unoriginal then, but I couldn't help. No, no, no. Me. You haven't seen any of the streams, yeah. so you don't know how. That's the exact right thing to think immediately. That is what I see. Uh, fuck. I was, think. What was I gonna? Sorry. Shit. I was gonna finish this thing about Trump. Uh, money laundering for Russians. Yeah, companies. that he's just, he's famous, but he's good at business because he's good at being famous. Mm. Oh, right. But his actual business dealings were just kicking the can down the road until somebody bailed him out and scamming people into giving him more money and bridge loans and shit. And so it would always be, just you watch, it'll be worked out. He goes to, the Vos he goes to Atlantic City. Hey, uh, what about junk bonds? No, you watch, we're not going to use any junk bonds. And then nothing but junk bonds. And so he can say, he's, hey, what does it matter to him? He's only president for another four years. He can say, it'll get cooler. You watch. And if it doesn't, what difference does it make? He got out of that moment. And that's all he meant to do. All right, guys, this is a good one today. Bye-bye.